Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning, welcome to Collective. If we've never met before, my name is Tyler and I have the privilege of leading alongside my wife, Lee. We get to lead Collective uh, with this amazing team that we have. And if you're new, you're here for the first time, we're glad that you're with us. If you're coming back, glad to see you. We're in this series called The Way, or uh, the series called Real Community, The Way of Jesus for Life Together. And today I wanna talk about the idea of becoming a community of practice. I want to challenge us to grow into a community of practice. I I want you to think about when you're learning something new. Maybe it's a skill, maybe it's a hobby, maybe you're musical and it's, it's an instrument. Anything that you're trying to learn, you don't just naturally become good at it. You don't just pick up, unless you're some virtuoso or you look like Jake, you don't pick up You don't pick up a guitar and just randomly start picking and sounding beautiful. It usually sounds discordant and awkward. Anything that we're trying to do, it actually requires time to practice. And sometimes there's a distance between what we want and who we want to become and where we currently are. And so we need to practice sometimes the basics to develop proficiency in what we want to see. Before pastoral ministry, I was a graphic designer, which comes in really helpful when you're planting a church. If you see some of the signage, it's because both Lee and I have graphic design backgrounds. But what I noticed is early on when I was passionate about graphic design, I could appreciate amazing graphic design, but could not do it. I could look at stuff that was good, But there was a distance between what I appreciated or even sometimes imagined and what I could actually do. And it took hours and hours of practice to close that gap. The gap between what I imagined, what I wanted to do, who I wanted to become, and where I currently was. I want you to think about this idea of practice in the context of our spiritual formation. As we are becoming apprentices to Jesus, as we are becoming more and more like Jesus, as we surrender to him, that there can be a distance between who we are and who we want to become. And more than that, there's not just a distance between who we are and who we want to become, there's also a distance between who we are and how much we look like Jesus. There's a distance between these two places And sometimes this distance can show places where we are growing, where we notice, okay, I'm taking steps toward this, but other areas where we see that distance or disconnect, it exposes the areas that we have yet to grow in, that we need to actually grow in. James 1 verse 22 says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, You are only fooling yourselves. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Let's pray. 
God, I pray that in these moments that you would speak, that it would not be my voice, but your voice. God, we know that your word can, can cut to the heart of things, and so we invite you. We invite you to speak to us. Cut through all the noise. God, you see each one of us. You see each of us in this room. You see each of us that maybe are watching this afterwards, and you know where we're at. God, I, just, I pray that each of us would just have the courage to take the next step or a step towards who you're asking us to be. That maybe even this week we would close the gap between who we are and who we want to be just a little bit more. God, I pray that you would, that you would speak, that you would encourage, that you would challenge, that you would, most importantly, God, I, I, need, I need you. So God, have your way. We love you, we trust you, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so James 1, verse 22. Don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. If you grew up in the church, maybe you've heard it a different translation. We were at a pastor's conference where, where they're like, let's all, let's pray the Lord's Prayer, if you're familiar with it. But he used a translation no one else New, so, and then he started laughing in the middle of it because he's like, okay, repeat after me. And then he went a different direction. And we're all doing the right way. And so you can hear certain scriptures and you go, uh, I'm not familiar with that. Maybe, maybe you've heard it, this passage around some version of don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. Don't just be hearers, but doers. If that's familiar to you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And just so I'm clear, because I made a joke about the right translation. Do you want to know what the right translation is? the one you'll actually read. The one that you'll actually spend time engaging in, that's a really good... Now, if you want recommendations, I have them for you. But if you'll actually read it, that will make a significant difference more than just waiting till you find the perfect version to maybe somehow, sometime, not read. And so, this, ver this, this passage in James is, is written by, can you guess? James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Imagine what that was like. And so he is writing to us, and he's being really, really clear. He's being really clear about what he's trying to say. You can't just listen to what God says. You can't just listen to what God's word says. That's the Bible. That's Jesus. You can't just listen to that. You have to actually do what it says. Otherwise, if you don't, you are fooling yourselves. And I, I can experience some of this with some level of tension. Because I'm very aware that there are times that I can speak and share things and spend hours and hours preparing and have people that are like, man, that was really significant or impactful, and then never do anything with it. That there are times that you're trying to unpack what God is saying and challenging us, me included, to actually do something with it. And I know that sometimes it feels like, you know what, it's, it's hard to do that. It's easier to just kind of listen and go, yeah, that was good. That made me feel good. Maybe a little bit convicted, but not too convicted. But, uh, but I'm just going to leave that till next Sunday. That there can be this disconnect that I see with people where, where they, they can hear it and not actually do it. I, I find that there are times that I can have conversations with people that, that, that don't put it into practice. And I want to just be really clear that when I say all of that, it's not somehow about this sense of control, like, I, I need you to do what I say. It's that I actually believe this stuff. 
Like, I, I really believe that if we will just model our lives after the way of Jesus, the way of life that Jesus offers, that our life will actually get better. And so there's this part that when I challenge and, and when, I, when, I, when I push, it's never because I just want to feel like, well, I hit them hard with that. It's because I go, if you just do 1%, 10%, 50%, your life will get better. Now, not easier and not always like you think it should, but you'll actually see impact in your life and you'll find the gap between who you are and looking more like Jesus closing over time. We need to become people that actually hear from God, yes, read his word, yes, and do what it says. And my hope is that every single week that that maybe you just take a step, that maybe you hear one thing and you go, that made sense to me, maybe that was God, and you take it and you you apply it to your life in a way that, that disrupts some of your patterns. We want to become a community that listens and does what God says. And if we're not careful, we can find this place where we settle into the rhythm that we think that simply listening is enough. Well, I listened to God. I heard him. But if we're not actually doing it, it's not the same. Listening is not the same as doing. It's listening and doing, hearing and doing. And I think about how challenging this is for those of us that have been Jesus followers for any length of time, especially if we grew up in the church. Like, we, we can find this place where we just fill our head with more knowledge. If I can just learn more, learn more. I'm not going to do it, but if I can just learn more. So, for example, if we grew up in the church, maybe we know the six Greek words of love. For love, we're like, I know all the, I know all the Greek words for love, but we don't actually love our neighbors. That's a problem. And even more than that, we go, I know the words for love. I know I'm supposed to love, but we don't love our enemies. Well, Jesus is really clear about those two things. He doesn't just say, you know what, it'd be really nice and cool if it was convenient for you to, to love your neighbor. He doesn't say, you know, when, you're, when your enemy is really worthy of your love, then you should love them. No, 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 no. He says, love your enemies, love your neighbor as yourselves. And so we can know about love, the concept of love, even theologically around love, but not actually do it. Or, for example, uh, maybe we know all of the books of the Bible in order. Like, I I had cousins that did quizzing when we were growing up, where they had the buzzers under the seat, and they'd have to get up and be like, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and as quickly as they could run through all of it. We can know all the books of the Bible. We can know where everything is placed. But if we have not read the Bible in months, that's a problem. Just simply knowing about the Bible is not knowing God. Just simply knowing the the details of the the book that we've been given is not the same as actually coming to it every day and going, God, speak to me through this. I need you. I want to come close to you. I, I, I need you. I need to start my day with you telling me who I am. Like even that song, I I know who you say I am. We constantly need to come back to that and go, who are you saying that I am? It's not enough just to know about this or to know some of the structural pieces if we are not putting it into practice. Now, take your pick for whatever it is, but do you see the disconnect? Do you see how easy it is for us to go, you know what, I think knowing is enough, listening is enough, hearing is enough, and James is telling us, uh, no, it isn't. You need to actually do what it says. You need to do what God says. And I think that this is a challenge for many of us. In fact, I was listening to a podcast, and, and there was a, a pastor from 
I think Long Beach, California, named Derek Roundson, and he was saying this. He said, we conflate insight with change. So we think that change and insight are the same thing. Now, insight is understanding our problem. Change is doing something about it. And so if we conflate insight with change, we go, as long as I know my problem, then I'm good. Now think about this. So in your own life, you go, you know what, I I noticed I have an anger problem. So all I need to do is just recognize it and just live the way I want to live. You you know what, I noticed that I can be a doormat and I have really, uh, I have unhealthy boundaries with people, but now I know that, so now I'm good. I don't have to do anything about it, but now I know that. We can look at our lives and see things that are dysfunctional. We can notice that maybe I'm obsessed with money and success. But good thing I recognize it. That's half the battle. We've done it. No, what James is actually saying is you recognize all those things, but what are you going to do about it? It's not enough to simply just understand, to have insight. We actually need to embrace the reality that we need to change. That insight, as we identify areas in our life that are dysfunctional, and all of us have them, it's meant to be catalytic. It's meant to identify, okay, there's some areas of growth that I need to work through. What am I going to do about it? More importantly, what is God asking me to do about it? What do I do with that? What is community telling me that I should do about it? What does it, it look like to actually take what I notice, insight, and move towards actual change? Knowing our areas of growth is not the same as actually practicing a different way. When we look at situations that we are going through, it's not enough to simply go, yeah, I notice this dysfunctional way of pattern in my, this dysfunctional pattern or way of dealing things, so at least I saw it. Instead, we have to actually change how we live. And sometimes we know the right thing. You ever find this? You're in a situation, and you almost can tell in your head, like, I have a choice here. I can choose to respond like it's really easy to respond, maybe lash out at someone or whatever, or I could do the right thing. You have a moment of choice. What's the easier choice to make? It's to do the thing you've always done, even if it's unhealthy. And there's there's a word for even the, the disconnect between what we know to do and us doing something Differently, If we know the right thing and we don't do it, it's something, and it can be a dirty word in the church, called hypocrisy. I was looking up the definition of hypocrisy, and man, it is filled with some stuff that I think is challenging for every one of us. And Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Areas where actions don't actually match our words or our beliefs. And we, we have them, all of us have areas. Like maybe it's our finances and you go, what I believe to be true about my finances and God taking care of me and, and asking me to be generous, I'm not actually living that out. We see a disconnect between what we believe and what we do. Maybe it's in our sexuality. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in our schedule. Maybe it's in our relationships. On and on and on. There are many areas in each of our lives where we recognize How I believe what I believe God is saying is not lining up with how I'm actually living. That we notice that there is a disconnect. And beyond that, there are also areas where our actions and our behaviors certainly don't match the way of Jesus. That there's this tension, that there's this this challenge. 
And one of the things that I've introduced increasingly is the language of apprenticeship, that we become apprentices under the way of Jesus. Jesus was a rabbi, and apprenticing is to actually, it's not just to know about Jesus, but to actually walk with him, learn from him, become like him, that if we are doing that, it actually requires that we allow Jesus to confront the areas where there's disconnection to confront the areas where we find our own hypocrisy and where we are not lining up with his way of life. And I know sometimes it's easy to see Jesus as nice guy Jesus, but I just, I want to let you know, Jesus was not a huge fan of of hypocrites. He, He wasn't, this was not something that he's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. In fact, he was pretty strong about it. And I also recognize the challenge in that. Because it's easy to say things, and I've heard it. People are like, I don't like the church because the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Can I just suggest to you that hypocrisy is not a church problem, it's a human problem? Like, let's read that definition again. Hypocrisy, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. We see this all the time. Take your pick of whatever arena, people that say one thing and then live a different way. And it's like, as long as they don't catch me, I'm good. And there's a disconnect that we identify in humanity around that, between who we say we are, what we say we believe, and how we actually live. And so we can look at even this area and and feel kind of beaten down like, even a little bit resigned to going, well, I guess that's just how I am. Like, it's a human thing, and I just, I struggle with that, and so I guess that's just it. And I don't want us to stay there where you go, you know, I have no option. I'm just going to have to be a hypocrite. I'm going to lean in all the way to hypocrisy. But then there's the other side of going, I also don't want us to be the kind of people that, that our job is just beating ourselves up for all the areas where we don't measure up. I want to suggest to us a better way. But as Christians, I do want to be clear that the truth is that over time, the distance between what we say we believe, what Jesus says, and how we live needs to be decreasing. It's not perfect. I, here's what's not expected. This is sometimes what we put our pressure on. We, we go, okay, day one, I want this. The, anyone, anyone here love math? Anyone here remember math from school? The idea of an integer? Anyone remember what an integer is? Okay, whole number. A whole number. You know the word integrity is from the same root? And integrity is when who we are publicly matches with who we are privately. None of us are perfect in every way where we just get to that integrity right away from day one. But as Christians, we grow each day and we work towards, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, decreasing the gap between who we are and what we believe, and what we say. But how do we do that? Because it's really easy for me to just go, so go do it. And you're like, where do I start? What do I do? I feel like I have so many areas. I want to circle back to practice. How do, we, how do we close the gap between who we are and who we want to be? Practice. Let me give some examples. You don't become a more forgiving person by one day just saying, I'm going to forgive all the time now. You don't become a less angry person by going, I'm just going to shove my anger down. I want you to think about it. So forgiveness, for example. You don't grow in forgiveness just 
one day you go, I'm just never, I'm going to forgive. I'm, but what you do is you practice forgiveness. And each day you choose, in small ways even, I'm going to choose forgiveness over bitterness for small things. And I'm going to practice it. I'm going to actually put it into practice. And over time, you look back and you find yourself becoming someone for whom forgiveness is a more natural response. Not perfect, not every time, but more consistently. Okay, think about prayer. You don't just become a person of prayer, someone that, is, that, that, that prays well by never praying and going like, I don't know, it feels awkward, so hopefully just something magical happens and I'm able to pray. How do you grow to be, become someone for whom prayer is a more natural thing? You practice prayer. You pray when it feels awkward. You, you pray when you don't feel like it. You pray when you do feel like it. You pray long prayers, short prayers, silent prayers, loud prayers. You practice prayer. You practice talking to God. And what can be even harder is you practice listening to God. You practice being still and silent. And maybe when you're praying at first and you're still in silent listening, and maybe you got 14 seconds in you. You got, I, I got 14 seconds before I just want to start talking or eating or going or moving, whatever. So you practice. And day one, you get 14 seconds. And maybe by week three, you're at 30 seconds. And you practice something. And at first, it feels awkward and clunky. But over time, as you practice it, it begun, begins to actually change your life. I want you to take and pick any area in your life where you notice a disconnect and go, what would it look like to begin to take steps towards practicing a different way, Jesus' way of life, recognizing that at first it feels awkward and over time it becomes second nature. There's this idea, if you think about our brain, this idea of neural pathways. In our brain, there are neural pathways. I want you to imagine a a path. Like if you've ever walked behind the German Canadian Club, and if you haven't, you should. There's paths. There's paths that loop all the way around. And what you see is a path that has been well worked down and trod. And so there's not grass growing. It's right down to the dirt, and it kind of winds through. And you notice it. It winds around trees that are difficult. Maybe it avoids some things that are treacherous. And, and what's happened is over time, many, many people have walked the same way and it becomes easier to get from point A to point B because of that. Our brain actually wires like that. And so there are situations we go through and responses that we have that are wired into us because of repetition. Over time, we keep doing this. So we experience something difficult, we lash out in anger. That becomes something we practice over time. And we practice, practice, intentionally or otherwise, forming ourselves to make our response when we deal with difficult things to lash out in anger. We create neural pathways. And our beliefs, our actions, and our habits develop those neural pathways. Our beliefs, our actions and our habits develop neural pathways. And some of them are really good. Some of them are really not good. Some of them we look at and we go, oh man, my actions, my beliefs, and my habits are developing pathways that are not helpful. Like maybe we notice, you know, when we deal with difficulty, challenges, we medicate. 
Maybe we drink too much. Maybe we eat too much. Maybe we binge TV too much. We try to avoid. We have responses to situations, especially difficult ones, that we establish ways of living. Maybe we experience disappointment and we lash out at people. We try to wound with our words when we feel wounded. We have neural pathways that, are, that we've created over time and we've developed and they become easier. It's easier for us to respond oftentimes in sin because we've practiced it. Over time, done the same thing over and over again. And if we actually want to become who Jesus invites us to be, we have to develop new neural pathways. And I want to just let you know that at first, just like going through a path and and veering off and making a new path, it's a little aggressive and a little clunky and a little awkward, and it feels like you're chopping stuff down and fighting things and there's resistance. That's normal. If you are trying to change some things in your life and responding differently, it's normal to feel resistance. It's harder at first because it's been easy to go the other way. It's been easy to just go, you know what, I'll just take this path. And when we choose to live differently and we begin to practice even small areas where we can actually exert some level of control for our decisions, then it's like we're going through a forest that has not ever been walked on. And we're the first. But what happens is over time, grass stops growing in that area. The path starts to open up a little bit, and it becomes more natural. And if we look back on the other paths that we used to take, they've got overgrown. And it's actually more natural for us to do the thing we want to do than it is to do the thing we used to do. Part of that is our brain, God is so brilliant, God develops our brain to have something called neuroplasticity, where we can actually develop new neural pathways, where our thoughts, our behaviors, our actions can actually change how we think. This is the beauty of God's design. But there is a responsibility that we have in that. And I just want to also be clear, as I'm saying all of that, to say I'm not suggesting that the goal here is you just walk out and just with willpower, go, I'm going to forge new neural pathways. I'm going to go a different way. Because I, I, can we all acknowledge willpower is finite? And when we have great sleeps and we've eaten well, we have lots of willpower. When we have had a horrible sleep and we've dealt with difficult people or difficult things or, or our stomach hurts, whatever, and we're like, I have less willpower. I'm not suggesting that it is about willpower. What I am suggesting is that we actually need to think about ourselves as followers of Jesus. We need to take seriously what he is saying and where he's leading us to follow him into, walk into, pattern our lives to, that we need to take really seriously the fact that following Jesus is active. It is not something that we just learned about one time, gave our life to Jesus and went, now I'll just wait till heaven comes. That we partner with him. That we make small decisions that, empowered by God, move us in a different direction. And as we practice over and over again the things that he says, we begin to see our life changed. We need to practice what he says. We need to embrace practice in our spiritual formation. And when we begin to do what Jesus says, I just want to be really honest with you, it's going to feel clunky and awkward. And we're going to stumble 
and we're going to mess it up, and we aren't going to get it all right, and we're not always going to do all the things that we think we should do. We listen to Paul who says, I don't do the things that I know I should do, and and we're going to feel some of that. But over time, if we commit to navigating life, following Jesus, willing to do what he's saying, and to not just hear it, but do it, will begin to change because we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds, neural pathways, to the way and life of Jesus. And when we screw up, and when we, we, we don't measure up, and where there is hypocrisy, again, we rest on the mercy of God and the grace of God, and we still continue to rest uh, in, in his identity and choose a different way. We turn away from our way of life and we embrace Jesus' way of life. And this is why we desperately need community. Because we can help each other see what we don't see. There are things that each of us sees in others that we don't see in ourselves. Some of it positive, some of it not so positive. Where it's like, man, you got some dysfunctional ways of dealing with things. You're like, really? I thought I was really, I thought I handled that perfectly. Why'd you scream at the Starbucks lady? And you're like, I don't know. I just, you know, she didn't make my drink right or whatever. And you're like, do you think maybe there's something there? Like, how come, you, how come you just let that person walk all over you? Or how, how, come, how come you're so obsessed with money and success and, and validation? Like, all the areas in our community is able to, to help us to see some of that. They can help us to keep going even when we're wondering if it's not worth it. Imagine if you're trying to, trying to make some changes by practicing the way of Jesus and practicing the things that he invites us into and you're, you're trying to chop down spots and choose something differently. When it's difficult and you have community that goes, keep going, you're going in the right direction, it allows you to keep going. They say, you can do this, keep doing it. What you're doing is good. Keep putting that effort. It keeps you going. We have to become a community made up of people of practice. There is a section of scripture that you may be familiar with where Jesus is speaking about actually putting his words into practice. It's in Matthew 7, 24. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking. So in in case you're looking at all this going, um, Tyler, you've said some things. Let me just, let's go to what Jesus says. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, all these things going wrong, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is, it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And in verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Now, just so we understand even the context of this, this is part of something called the Sermon on the Mount. From Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is preaching. He's speaking. And if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, you should read it. If you haven't read it in a while, you should read it again. It is a powerful picture of what it means to live in the kingdom that he is offering. This way of Jesus And sometimes we read it as aspirational because there's some stuff in there that you're like, I don't know that I can do that. It's it's not meant to be aspirational. Instead, it's meant to go, if you actually live like me, if you actually surrender to me, you can live like this. You you can actually experience something different. Is it going to be perfect this side of heaven? No. But we resign ourselves to going, that's just the way it is. 
just who I am. And Jesus is going, who told you that? Who, who told you that you just get to go, you know what, I, just, I have my problems and I'm not going to deal with it. Instead, he invites us to model our lives after his way of life and we see our life begin to change. And our lives come in alignment with the one who created everything. And what Jesus is saying is that when we actually do that, when the storms of life come our way, we'll have the ability to weather that. We won't be shaken by our circumstances. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really hard for me because I notice that my feelings are determined by my circumstances. Have a great week? I feel great. Have a hard week? I don't feel great. And I have these moments where I'm like, I don't want, I don't want whatever I'm going through externally to define how I am responding and who I am. Well, it points out areas for me where I go, I'm out of alignment with what, who, who God says that I am. And that doesn't mean you just go, I feel nothing. <laughs> Everything's great. Like, none of that, but you just go, I know that I have stability because of who God is. I know that I can rest on what he is saying. I know that he's at work. I know that I'm not on my own. I know that I'm built, my life is built on a firm foundation. I want to know that my life is not, my security is not built on my own work. It's built on Jesus. And so Jesus invites us to put our hope and an identity in him again. And I want to just remind you, we do this through practice. We practice prayer. We practice Sabbath. We practice silence and solitude. We practice communion. We practice gathering together in co-groups. We practice doing what you're doing right now, gathering together at church. We practice so many things. There are these beautiful things called spiritual disciplines, things that we see in the life of Jesus, practices that he actually does over and over again, like getting away from people. The crowd is there. He gets away to be with God. We find him resting and we find him working at times. We see practices in his life, and we're meant not just to look at those and go, that seems nice. We're meant to practice them ourselves. We choose to become people that actually do what Jesus says. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Do you notice a pattern here? Like, you see this. You see this in Jesus and other writers. So in this, Jesus is saying, why, why do you keep calling me Lord? You don't do what I say. There are areas in our life where we recognize, I, I'm not actually surrendering to the way of Jesus, and I'm not surrendering to Jesus' lordship. We can call Jesus Lord, Lord, but if we don't do what he says, it causes us to wonder, is he Lord in our life? There's this tension. I was listening to someone speak about it where they're saying, you know, sometimes we can come to Jesus and we want Jesus to be our savior. Save me from myself. Save me from my dysfunction. Save me from where I was, I was in trouble and, and, and destined to, or, or I was en route to destruction. Save me from that. But where we struggle is be my Lord. So you go, I'm okay with you rescuing me, but I don't, I don't know if I feel great about you telling me how to live. I don't know if I feel great about living. Yeah, I know kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But can I be the Lord of my own kingdom inside of your kingdom? Like, can I avoid doing what you want me to do and do what I want to do, but inside of you blessing me? And you go, that's not how it works. Jesus is our Savior, yes, but he is also our Lord. And he's saying, 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Do you know what Jesus as Lord means for us? It means that Jesus actually gets to tell us how to live. And it's very different than our tendency often is. He actually gets to say, I want to tell you a better way to live. I have a better way of life for you. And we are invited to respond. Am I going to do what he says? Or am I going to say, you know what, I'll take it from here. James calls that foolish. Jesus calls that foolish. And yet we find that tension in our lives. We choose. Do I want wisdom? Do I want to live in, in line with what God has done and who he is or my own way? And we find ourselves in this place of sin where we want to do our own thing, where we miss the mark, the, the way that God has intended us to be designed. There's a there's an author named, or, or a theologian named St. Ignatius of Loyola. St. Ignatius of Loyola. He said this, Sin is unwillingness to trust what God, that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Pay attention to that, that quote. Sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Note there, deepest. Deepest happiness. What will actually make us happy. What will actually bring us joy. And I don't know about you, but we want momentary. We want quick. We want instant. God wants deep and he wants lasting. How often do we trade the, the good, lasting, deep stuff for something so short term and like dust in our mouths? Jesus is inviting us to actually believe that what God wants is our deepest happiness, that God looks at our life and says, I have a way of living that is different than your way and better than your way. And at some point in our apprenticeship to Jesus, we will notice areas that, that we're believing this lie. That we go, you know what, I, I, I look at what you say, but I think I know better. I don't think that you actually want to see me thrive and flourish. I think I might have a better way. And you know what happens is we try that, and it just seems empty and empty and empty. And we, we're noticing in our souls there's this disconnect, there's this friction. We go, is it maybe? Can I suggest to you that it is that you're living in a way that is out of alignment and in discordance with how you've been created to thrive? That God actually has a way for a life that is better. Is it perfect? Not by your standards, but by his it is. It moves you towards this place of going, not, not my will, but your will. And actually over time, and we see this in the scriptures and we see it in people where suddenly they can navigate difficult things so differently. Suddenly they're experiencing wholeness and hope that does not make sense. And we see it in Jesus and his disciples where they live in a way where persecution, where death, pain, it means nothing to them because they are so focused on what God is inviting them into. I want that for us. We want to become a community of practice that lives in accordance with our beliefs and with divine design, not in discordance, not outside of that. Okay, so what do I want you to do with that? There's lots there, and I hope there's some parts that you go, okay, that's stuck with me. What do I want you to do? I want you to stand up for a moment. I want you to do something that, that is, uh, I want to challenge you to do something that I think is bold. I want you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to actually, in this moment, 
pray this prayer. God, show me where things are out of alignment. It's a bold prayer. God, show me where things are out of alignment. And then even riskier than that, I want to invite you today, not tomorrow, today, ask someone that you love that loves you to help you see where your beliefs are not matching your actions, areas where you have hypocrisy. Pray the bold prayer of asking God, show me where my life is out of alignment, where there is a disconnect. Show me areas where I need to take steps toward practice and talk to someone that loves you, that you love, and ask where things are out of alignment. I want to remind you, it is so much easier, we know this, it is so much easier to point out hypocrisy in others than see it in ourselves. <laughs> we look at our friends and go, I know where you're a big old hypocrite, and then we got stuff in our own life, we go, no, no I'm fine, it's great, it's great. No, I'm, I'm really good. I just, I'm, a, I'm a victim of circumstances. And so here's the reality. Just let me just say this to all of us as a community. We have to actually invite it. Like, we can't just go around telling people, hey, let me tell you where your hypocrisy is. We have to lovingly invite it from people that we love who love us and go, help me. Like, I, I, want, I want to live differently. I want to begin to take some, some steps to actually break some things, to move in a different direction. I want to build new neural pathways. I want to follow Jesus. I want to see areas of my life transformed so that I become more and more like him and I walk with him. Community is so essential. This is why we're doing this series. It's why we're emphasizing our co-groups because community points out areas where there's disconnect, which is why, let's be honest, people avoid it. They're like, if I'm around community for a length of time, then they'll see my dysfunction. And so what do we see? We see people that as soon as that comes up, they go, I'm going to run. I'm going to avoid it. Or they just go, I'll just, I won't sign up. I'll show up. I'll watch. I'll leave. That is not, that is not life as it's supposed to be. We are meant to do this together. We want to become people of practice. We are building a community of practice, and we want to help you to become a person of practice. We're doing this in our co-groups. One of the significant parts of our co-groups that we're implementing in this semester and moving forward is at the end of a time together, there's challenge. What are you going to do about it this week? And then, have you ever been in a place where someone challenges you and then they never talk about it again? <laughs> They're like, I'm going to challenge you. And then next week, there's just silence. So one of the things that's so beautiful and I love about our leaders in our co-groups is they're actually following up with people. How'd that go? What did you learn? What are you learning? You know what that does? That over time, by being challenged and having accountability, you begin to practice and recognize, oh, wait, wait, wait. So the expectation here is that I do something with this? Yes. Got it. Wait, the expectation is that we're not just in a group listening to someone speak and then just leaving going, wasn't it nice? No, that there's, a, there's room for us to go, what does it look like for us to put into practice? So I want to challenge you to continue to pray, God, help me to see areas where I am living out of alignment. And today, and I'll even ask you next week, Lee, remind me. <laughs> next week, go, today, who am I going to talk to and ask about whether my life is out of alignment. We want to create some space. We're going to, we're going to worship, and then the prayer team's going to be up here. If you need prayer, maybe even prayer to hear from God, maybe you, there's some things that are being exposed that you're like, I, I need help. Don't, don't just do it on your own. Go up to the prayer team. 
even during worship, we're going to spend some time, we're going to worship God, but maybe you need to just in this moment listen to God and see what he wants to say. We want to create space to respond. So I want to pray for us and then let's worship together. God, I am so grateful that you see us, that you love us, that you are drawing us to to live differently. God, we know that it's not by our willpower that we change, but by our practices empowered by you to model our lives after your son Jesus that we begin to see changes. God, we surrender to you. Listen, you're the only one that can really change our lives. And we pray that you would do it in moments, even right now that you would change something in our lives. But you also do it over time. Long obedience in the same direction. God, let us be people of practice that are obedient to what you are saying every single day to practice what you're saying. God, I pray that we would become a community that doesn't just listen to you or hear from you, but instead does what your words say. Holy Spirit, move. We need you. We invite you. Change us. And as we worship, I even pray in this room that you would speak to individual people that need to hear from you. God, have your way. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, Find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.